0: Greetings, this is Roger Kimball, the editor and publisher of The New Criterion. I'm speaking to you from our world headquarters in New York City, uh, which accounts for that slight, persistent hum of energy you hear in the background. It's my pleasure to welcome you to our June issue, the final issue, not only of the season, but also of our 40th anniversary it's been an extraordinary year for the new criterion we have reached our highest circulation ever we are now back full throttle with our events no social distancing and we're very pleased to see all of our friends again our june issue i think is one of the most extraordinary we have published all season you'll find larry p arnes essay, Consistency in Politics, which is an expanded version of the talk he gave at our Edmund Burke Gala at the end of April. You won't want to miss that. The great Gary Saul Morrison has an extraordinary piece on Stalin, and Dominic Green has a long essay on the 100th anniversary of James Joyce's Ulysses. There are many other excellent things in the issue. I hope you will have an opportunity to pick it up and read it. I would be remiss if I didn't also mention my own essay, Highways to Utopia, which concludes our year-long series on the theme of Western civilization at the crossroads. We will be gathering these essays together and will publish them in September as a book through Encounter Books. I hope you'll enjoy the essay now and that you will be able to pick up the book in due course. Now for our notes and comments. There are three of them this issue. First, some good news. It is in the nature of things that these introductory reflections generally sound an admonitory note. Were our bulletins full of joy and glad tidings, you could read one and then skip the rest. All happy families are alike. But, well, you know, that was something that Tolstoy got right. The world of classics, as regular readers will know from our reports from the front, comprises many unhappy families. For reasons that are not entirely clear to us, Classics as a discipline seems more susceptible to subversion by the toxin of identity politics than other humanities departments, bad though things are in those fetid groves. Perhaps it is a case of corruptio optima pessima. In any case, it is a pleasure to be able to bring you some good news from the world of classics. To wit, Antigone, quote, a new and open forum for classics in the 21st century. Although its articles tend to be intellectually sophisticated, Antigone, which began life at AntigoneJournal.com in March 2021, is not an academic enterprise. It smells of a beach on the Aegean, not the moist and musty bays of a race-obsessed gender-fluid study. It is a celebration of the classics for curious readers young and old. An eight-year-old from China won one of its competitions last year, as did an 88-year-old Brit. Quote, we are, the editors write, in an about us statement, fascinated by and passionate about greco roman antiquity, and wish to introduce as many people as possible to its thrills and its spills, its charms and its challenges. They go on to note that contributors to the site are, quote, united by a love of classics. That's the distinguishing mark of the site, love of the subject. Contributors to Antigone are not uncritical about the world of antiquity. To be sure, the editors write, not every idea from classical antiquity deserves to be defended. And we enthusiastically invite critical analysis of those that may be wrong. On the whole, however, our writers do seek to uphold and promote ideals that held sway thousands of years ago. Open inquiry, robust debate, the unfettered exploration of ideas, end quote. It's an approach to the subject that Johnny Mercer, with his advice to accentuate the positive, would endorse. And it is an approach that characterized the discipline of classics from its beginnings until the day before yesterday, when the dictates of a pinched, studiously, uncurious, hectoring, and unjoyful attitude took root. The literary pharaoh offer at Antiquity is deliberately wide-ranging. Recent articles include a reflection on a Scythian version of the story of Odysseus and Polyphemus, a survey of attitudes about envy in the classical world, a study of Roman graffiti, and an effort to piece together the argument of Cicero's lost Hortensius, one of the most influential works of classical antiquity, but which, like Coco's attire in the Mikado, survives in only shreds and patches. On the occasion of the site's one-year anniversary in March, the editors published a reflection on their achievement to date. Antigone, we read, has published some 170 articles by 110 writers from 15 countries. In addition to many articles on literary and philological matters, Antigone has been home to columns about, quote, archaeology, art, politics, linguistics, music, sport, the classical tradition, the state of classics and its future, and the crucial question of how to get into the classics, quote, from the outside, end quote. And what about its name, Antigone? The heroine of Sophocles's play, the editors write, has long been a powerful symbol of independent mindedness and resistance. She refuses to submit to the tyrant of Thebes, her uncle Creon, when he prohibits the burial of her fallen brother, Polynices. In an age when conformism is increasingly policed and enforced, Antigone's stance is an important reminder of the virtues of principled action. End quote. And indeed it is. We welcome Antigone to the fray. Two sad farewells. As we were going to press with this issue, we received the sad news that two important cultural figures and friends of the editors had died. The first was Midge Dector, who died on May 9th at 94. Midge was a powerful voice in the cultural battles of our time. Together with Norman Podhoritz, her second husband and intellectual comrade in arms, Midge emerged from the miasma of New Deal liberalism to become one of the most forceful critics of the rancid counter-cultural sensibility of the 1960s. Through her writings and commentary and elsewhere, she helped shape a tough and clear-eyed response to the inanities of that long, long decade that sought to make a virtue out of self-indulgence and systematic moral irresponsibility. Like others in the commentary circle, she was an unapologetic American patriot and staunch ally of the burgeoning Reagan-Thatcher revolution of the early 1980s. In 1981, she helped to found the Committee for the Free World, a think tank dedicated to exposing the political enormities of communist regimes like the Soviet Union and the squalid kleptocracies in Cuba, Nicaragua, and elsewhere in Latin America. Midge was also the author of several important books. But for those of us who were privileged to know her, she was above all a sort of spiritual godmother warm and encouraging to the young unsparing to the pompous and wrong-headed gifted with a laser-like ability to distinguish between what was genuine and what was fraudulent we celebrate her many contributions to our culture and send our condolences to her family last month also brought the news that the prolific columnist john leo had died age 86 well known through his columns at Time, U.S. News and World Report, and elsewhere, John was one of the earliest and one of the most insightful critics of political correctness and kindred assaults on intellectual maturity in academia. By the same token, John was also a vigorous champion of free speech, the most reliable bane of and antidote to political correctness. After quitting his duties as a syndicated columnist, he continued his work on behalf of intellectual openness as a fellow of the Manhattan Institute, where he oversaw minding the campus, an important source of critical commentary on the university. John was a good friend to the New Criterion from its earliest years, and we will miss him and his witty, intelligent, and humane reflections on our culture. Finally, a word of thanks. The 20th century Spanish philosopher, José Ortega y Gasset, has been mostly forgotten today in that, alas, he does not distinguish himself. An encroaching ignorance of the past is part of what defines our culture. That fact gives special poignancy to Ortega's observation that, quote, the simple process of preserving Our present civilization is supremely complex and demands incalculably subtle powers. This, we believe, is true, and it may serve well to describe our central ambition at the new criterion. Two points about that ambition. First, no one can ever fully realize it. It is part of the ineluctable incapacity of humanity that such goals are fated to be but imperfectly and temporarily realized. Today's gains are gobbled up by tomorrow's reverses, which in turn may mark the beginnings of some new salient. Second, this task is never a solitary enterprise. This is especially true for a collaborative entity like the New Criterion. For more than a decade, it has been our custom, as we approach the end of our publishing season, to recognize in this space our most dedicated donors, those individuals and institutions that have contributed over the course of the past year, $25,000 or more to our efforts. These generous patrons, we enroll in our editor's circle. It is a pleasure to do so, not least because most of those who make our work possible are also intellectual comrades in arms, friends and co-collaborators in the task of preservation that Ortega named, battling cultural amnesia and fostering honest and informed inquiry into the great questions that confront us as a civilization, Chirka 2022. As we near the end of our 40th anniversary, We are especially pleased to recognize our growing circle of benefactors. Not only have you made the new criterion possible, but you are also responsible for making this anniversary year our most successful to date. Yes, we have raised more money this year than ever before, but that was only the beginning. We have also, with your help, brought the circulation of the magazine to its highest level in our history. As in years past, we would like to begin by acknowledging our debt to the late, great, lamented John M. Olin Foundation, whose principles helped to start the New Criterion in the early 1980s, and to the late Donald Kahn, whose timely and munificent generosity, in effect, rescued the magazine at a moment of peril in the late 1990s. In this same category belong the Lynd and Harry Bradley Foundation and the Sarah Scaife Foundation, both of which have generously supported the new criterion for decades. They are the conditiones sine qua non of our work. We are also delighted as we cast our eye over the past year to thank these indispensable friends and supporters, this year's members of our editors circle. Elizabeth Ailes, Mary Ellen Bork, the Broken Science Organization, the Carson Meyer Charitable Trust, Joanna Sineter, Christopher and Susan Cowie, the William H. Donner Foundation, the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Richard and Barbara Gabby Foundation, the Gale Foundation, David Hine, the Hickory Foundation, Richard R. Huff III, Paul J. Isaac, the J. M. Foundation, the Kleinschmidt Family Foundation, the Thomas D. Klingenstein Fund, Christopher Laconi, Ronald and Joe Carroll Lauder, the Leggett Foundation, the Lehrman Institute, the Marcus Foundation, the Fred Maytag Family Foundation, the Diane Graves-Owen Foundation, David Packard, J. Peter Ricketts, Don, and Donna Riley, the Thomas W. Smith Foundation, the Diana Davis Spencer Foundation, Edward A. Studidzi, the Triad Foundation, Dave and Reba Williams, and Helen Zell. Finally, we would like to acknowledge that great but too seldom recognized force for good, Anonymous, whose benefactions once again have been critical in helping us man the ramparts of cultural renewal. We are deeply grateful to you all. Thank you for your counsel and for your intellectual as well as your financial support. The new criterion could not exist without you. This is Roger Kimball signing off for the summer. I look forward to seeing you again in September.